it's an opportunity to ask them about their faith and talk about our faith and why we're here and to pray with them and share the gospel with them. Welcome to The Reformed Deacon, a casual conversation with topics specifically designed to help local Reformed deacons. There are nearly a thousand deacons in the OPC alone, so let's take this opportunity to learn from and encourage one another. We're so glad you could join us. Let's jump into our next episode of The Reformed Deacon. My name is David Nochlin. Today on the Reform Deacon Podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different. Today I'm going to sit down with a few deacons to discuss case studies or situations that you as a deacon might find yourself having to address at your local church. I'll describe the situation to our panel of deacons, and we'll listen as they discuss their responses to each case. These are fictitious situations, but I think you'll find them very realistic and feasible. I hope after listening, you'll come away with some suggestions for responding and following up when this or a situation like it should come up at your church. We have three deacons today on the podcast. Uh, Doug Voss coming to us from Oakland Hills Community OPC in Farmington Hills, Michigan. John Voss from Covenant OPC in Orland Park, Illinois. And Chris Sudlow from Bethel OPC in Wheaton, Illinois. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Nice to see you. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks for uh, pulling this uh, meeting together. It's great. Yeah. So let's get started on our first case. We're going to call the man in this scenario, Stan. So Stan appears at the door of the church at the end of the morning service. You've never seen him before, but he asks if he could speak to the pastor or the deacons. You ask how you can help him, and he says, I need some money right away. I have a prescription from the doctor, and it needs to be filled. Stan becomes more agitated as you try to gather information. Stan does have what appears to be a valid prescription, though it looks a little worn. Stan said that he thought of coming to the church because he rides the bus past it almost every day. So, Chris... When we start with you, what concerns come to your mind with this case? Uh, not surprising. I guess my first reaction would be to uh, get another deacon involved with me. We always uh, meet in twos for our walk-ins and try to start a conversation and see what level of anxiety or other intensity is going on. You always want to you know, try and de-escalate things, find a quiet place we can sit and talk with him. That, but that'd be the first thing I'd do. I'd get one of my brothers, have two of us spend some time with him. Good, good, good. I love the idea of de-escalate the situation. John, any? do you have any concerns as you as you hear this case? Well, I, I, we would do the same thing. I would I would bring in, bring in at least one other deacon. And again, going into a private, more of a private place where you can deal with an individual more comfortably so that they can be more comfortable. And then there's a lot of different questions, of course, that we would be asking. He says that he came by, he rides his bus by the past the church. Um, I would want to know, we would want to know, does he have a church home? Hmm. Family status to get to know him a little bit better. What would bother me is that in this scenario, Stan becomes a little bit more agitated as you're seeking information, that's a, an issue. And it's, I think that's a red flag as well. When be, someone becomes evasive, why? 
on the becoming evasive. Hmm. So, but having a, several of several deacons would be is very helpful. Hmm. Thank you. So, so Doug, uh, you've sequestered the young man with some fellow deacons, and you're interact. What what what's your guys' first steps? Maybe. So, same scenario. We'd probably find a private room, one of the uh, empty Sunday school rooms, or something like that, and sit down and talk. I think uh, what John mentioned, asking about just some general questions about family, or you know, where are they from, how long they've been in the area, kind of just see what they see what their answers are to those things. Because typically, if someone is really in poverty or homeless or whatever the situation is, we don't we don't know. All you know is the guy says he needs some money for a prescription. But by asking them a little bit about their background, family, and current living situation, you can you can get a lot of information right away. Mm. And particularly family, if if the guy's getting agitated and you're asking him, you know, what's the family situation? A lot of times people are estranged from everyone in their family. Mm. I mean, we've seen that probably 90% of the time, somebody that's asking for money and they're coming into the church not knowing anyone in the church. I don't know, maybe 90% is not, not an accurate percentage, but a lot of them, their family won't help them anymore because of this collision that they've had with their family. And maybe I'm reading too much into this case study, which is uh <laughs> which is a made up one, but I'm I'm thinking back on different conversations we've had with people, real scenarios, similar, but uh real scenarios where by talking to them about their family and they're they're starting to get a little agitated. The reason they're not getting along with their family is like a whole lot of different things going on in their life. And so their family won't give them any more money either because why, you know, mm-hmm. if you get to that point, somebody is going to get really agitated with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I like what Chris said, try and de-escalate the situation. Don't probe too deeply, you know, if it's the first time you've ever met the person, you want to try and genuinely help them. And so our church, like I, I know a number of other OPC churches have like a policy that the deacons have already agreed on, right? So can you give an example of a of such a policy? Maybe that you guys have at your church? Like a certain amount of money that you can give with no questions asked. Yeah. Okay. But maybe you're not going to give cash. So like if somebody needs gas, maybe we'll we'll run down to the gas station with them and put gas in their car. Or we'll give them a gas card. In this case, using a similar thing, we don't have a policy specifically about a prescription. You might say, well, it's at the end of the morning service. You might say, well, let's go down to the pharmacy together and uh, see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good, good. We would do the same. I would do the same. Yeah. So just like you'd say, let's, okay, you know, I know your car's on E. Let's go down to the gas station and, um, and fill you up. If it's the first time, right, because you're trying to get to know them and you don't want to say, oh, this guy's just a total ripoff. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt. You want to say, hey, let's let's try and help them. Let's try and get to know them. Let's try and build a relationship. So, mm-hmm. you know, putting $25 worth of gas in somebody's car is not a big deal these days. I mean, you know, it takes like 80 bucks to fill up <laughs> some cars lately, right? So, right. Uh, but in this case... He wants money for a prescription, so I would use a similar principle of saying, "Hey, let's let's go down to the pharmacy together." Yeah, I don't know what I would do there if if it's a legit prescription, but 
you're going to find out whether it's a legit prescription or not pretty quickly. Mm. So, mm. yeah. And at that point, if it is legit, then I, if the if prescription is a legitimate prescription, then that means the doctor's seen the guy and he actually does have whatever that physical ailment is. Yes. But again, like you said, we would go down with him because we'd never give cash. It was either certificates or like you said, a gas card, or we would take money out of our own, you know, out of your own pocket and you would spend money. Right. But you wouldn't actually give that individual the money itself. Uh, We even at one time we had someone that needed supposedly needed clothes, had a job starting on Monday, needed some uniforms, nurse uniforms. We cut the tags off the clothes. Mm. And she was very upset about that. It's mm. a smart move. <laughs> so that's oh. stop it. But she was planning on returning him or something. And uh that's one of the suspicions. That, it's not yeah. necessarily yeah. what she was planning, but we cut those tags off so that she couldn't make the return because a lot of yep. people will yeah. do that. Yep. Yeah, John. Um, some of us older deacons are kind of jaded and uh skeptical because we've seen scam artists come through and they're telling you lies to get money for some other reason but Mm -hmm. even then you know you want to help them out you want to buy them a meal you want to get to know them you know and because even if they're telling you lies i mean look at look at jesus talking to the woman at the well right she's Mm -hmm. he's basically continuing to ask questions and saying of course Jesus is omniscient and he immediately sees, you know, so we don't know. We've got to pray for wisdom, ask the Holy Spirit to give us words to say, but basically it doesn't matter that they're telling you lies, right? We're all sinners and people are, they're free to tell you the truth up front, but you just keep talking to them and try and build a relationship. And they may say, you know what? I like talking to you, mm. you know, or I, I like your approach because you basically want to try and help them even if they are telling you lies in a way. I mean, mm. at least in some small way to get to try and build that relationship and see whether they're going to come back to church and talk to you some more. Mm. What do you think of that, Chris? Yeah, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, we have a, a policy set up for our deacons, and um, we uh, we do a couple of things. But in terms of you get a request for money, I like to rather quickly let them know that we're not able to give cash. It's mm-hmm. not, yeah. we, we don't work as individuals. We're set up as a board and we have policies, but that we do want to help you. Mm-hmm. So we authorize um, walk-ins for two deacons to uh, provide up to $50 in food card mm-hmm. and $50 in gasoline without having to take it back to the rest of the deacons for a formal vote and that's our policy and i think that works pretty well but yeah you know at the same time i'm telling him explaining to him that it's not just a simple thing that we can hand out cash and why i also say but we can help you and we want to help you and you know we have you know we can do some food or or gas or or you know those kinds of things or like uh Doug and John said, go down to the pharmacy with them. I would be a little careful with that because, uh, you know, you could get into a a big prescription, et cetera. But Mm. I think the sooner you give them a parameter of what you are authorized to do and what you have permission to do, it sets a stage for 
you know, a beginning understanding. And if that point, sometimes they'll just turn tail and walk out as fast as they came in. And even if you say, well, I can do some things for you. And they say, no. And you know, that's it. They, yeah. you see, that's kind of a dividing line. And I think it's been helpful to set that early in the process. How do you guys battle the tendency to become jaded when you're lied to? And, you know, there's an effort to defraud. I mean, you guys have given wonderful, wonderful answers of a desire to help. How do you battle the tendency as as the years go on to become jaded? I don't know if it's becoming jaded. Maybe it's more you become more aware of the possibility or the probability to avoid becoming jaded. I, I don't want to make it sound like it's overly simple, but the reality is what is the deacon supposed to be doing? He's offering that cool cup of water. He's offering, he's, he's trying to demonstrate the love of Christ and what Christ has done for the sinner. Mm-hmm. So while someone may be, we'll say they're, they're scamming us, the reality is Christ loved us while we were before. Yes. We quit scamming him, right? Mm-hmm. So once you deal, you become aware of that, I think it makes it maybe a little bit easier to, it's not that you're not becoming jaded, but a little bit easier to be somewhat forgiving, at least Mm -hmm. on the front end of the relationship. If it's the first time I've seen somebody or we've seen somebody, you always try to, our opinion and my opinion has always been to err on the side of mercy. And it's not necessarily erring. It's it's acting on the Mm -hmm. side of mercy, Mm -hmm. being aware that maybe they're going to try to scam you. And so you know that there has to be a limitation. Chris says they, you know, said a $50 limit. And that is incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. And if you put that right out there, right up front and say, well, yeah, we can help. We can, we, we're able to assist. We're not going to give you the cash, but we're going to go with you. But we do have a limit. Yeah. Now, if you want to sit down and meet with the uh, elders and and some more people, because we do have that possibility, but it's going to take a whole lot more of us, and we're going to get more deeply involved with you in your life. And then that's usually when, if they, if it's a scam, they can't hit their gas pedal hard enough. Yeah, right. Get right. out of there because they don't want to be involved with that. Yeah, right. But there are times that people are more than willing to. They really do yeah. seek. Mm-hmm. They seek help and assistance involvement. Mm. So, would you say to that you should avoid taking it personally when they're always, you know, when they're, they're stealing it from me? They're stealing. You're trying. They're trying to steal it from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a steward of that. As a deacon, you're a steward of the funds of God's people, the the funds that God gave his people, and they gave it to you. So we're stewards. You're not trying to steal from me. They're trying to steal from the Lord. Yeah. Um, So don't take it personal. Yeah. I was going to say, coming back to Jesus talking to the woman at the well, we found always asking questions about the relationship with their family cuts to the chase pretty quickly. Like, Jesus, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 16, he says to the woman at the well, go call your husband and then come back. And that's when it's Hmm. revealed. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right to say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. But you don't know what people are going to say when you say, well, you know, 
are you from this area? Do you have any family? You know, could your family help you with prescription or why can't your family help you with this prescription? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Which is a legitimate question, right? Yeah. Um, Cause you want to, you want to try and help them, but you also want to understand like, you know, why can't they get money for their prescription? Just to be transparent. I have felt at times jaded by walk-ins mm. um, jaded by not only going to the pharmacist, but getting them a room in a hotel while they're driving back to the upper New York state and various situations like that. So I think to be honest about it, that that is an issue because you don't see very many walk-ins return and you see fewer than that ever, you know, come and be part of the body in any kind of attending or meaningful way. But having said that, I don't know if just because I'm getting older now, (laughs) but I enjoy it when I'm assigned to the walk-ins for a Sunday and we get a walk-in because my perspective is really kind of turned around on that Mm. because it's an opportunity to ask them about their faith and talk about our faith and why we're here Mm -hmm. and to pray with them and share the gospel with them and Mm. and to spend time in prayer. And for me, that's kind of turned the whole situation around from feeling like somebody's just coming to get something for free and it's going to just, you know, leave and never return. And why are we spending this money and why are we spending the Lord's money on on these kinds of situations to, you know, this is a genuine opportunity to pray with people and, and share mm-hmm. the gospel with them. And to be honest, I don't have a lot of other opportunities in my life. I've had several, but I don't have a lot of opportunities in my life to really sit down and share the gospel with something and pray with them. So that's been very freeing for me. Mm-hmm. And I think the flip side of that is that we're providing a gift. Um, we're, we're as uh, Alex Patco said, we are the hands of Christ. And we are doing the work that we've been commanded to do. What they do with the gift downstream is not our responsibility Mm. or something that we need to hold in our hearts and take us sideways. It's we're, we're free of that. Mm. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Wouldn't you agree a wonderful way to overcome being jaded is when you actually do have a situation where you ask the hard questions and they it turns out that this is a pretty legit, this is a legitimate need and it's real and you're convinced that it's real and you minister to it in a real way. And um, that's to me, the best antidote to the, to the Jesus. So people that are willing to come and sit and eat with you and learn and watch videos and talk about finances and talk about their financial struggles and they're trying to get on their feet financially trying to hold down a job, but they, and they come to church every Sunday. Those are the people you want to help. And you just love on them. You know, you just want to keep helping them. And so those are the kind of stories you can tell to the guy who's a walk-in like, man, we're willing to do all kinds of things for you. We're going to help you, you know, get a better apartment. We're going to help you get a better car, whatever you need. But we don't just give away money to somebody that walks in off the street, you know? We don't give like a car repair. We don't, you know, put $1,200 into someone's car repair because we don't even know, like you walked in, you don't even show me your car's not running or, you know, you're just making up a story, it seems like, you know. So 
that's where you you got to convince them that if we get to know you and you're not afraid to get to know us a little better, we can help you a lot more. Do you want help like that? Can you talk a little bit about any kind of uh, recording that you do of your of your visit? Uh, do you guys have any kind of written record of of the visit and and what what type of information would you collect? You would come in. We would ask for ID. Okay. And we would make a photocopy of that ID, where you're from, where you came from, who you're staying with, where you're staying. Again, like Doug said, I'm trying to get background on the family. The obligation of the family in helping the individual is premier. We always felt it was first you go to family, secondly, you go to the church, right? You go to the government last. And the food kitchen or something else last. But first is family, second is church. If you haven't got a church, then well, what about why don't you have? Uh, why why don't you have a church? And why don't you have family involved? And you're every you know I've heard it from both of you that if they're not getting help from family, there's something much much deeper going on yeah. almost every time. Yeah, thank you. We keep a very low technology three ring binder of our visitors and we copy their ID and fill out their info. And we also share with them that for people that uh, walk in uh, unannounced, the gifts that we've been authorized to give are, uh, are these gifts once per year so that they know that, you know, for a one-off request, we've put a limitation on that, that they can come in once per year. And it's been, very helpful, I guess, in terms of just setting the expectation stage as well. You know, it is pretty easy to whip through that binder over the last year and and see. And, you know, sometimes we'll have repeats that will come in, but it's nice to have that easy backup and just a little bit of accountability on our side uh, to keep things manageable. If we could talk for a few minutes here, guys, about next steps. You've brought them to the pharmacy. You're going to help them with a prescription. You want to talk to them about the Lord longer term. What are the logical next steps? Well, initially, again, we, you're asking when when you first meet them and you talk, do you have a church? Are you associated with a church? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? And then if the meeting goes continues on, we've always invited the walk-in to worship with us. In a lot of cases, at least in my experience, has been that usually that person shows up not at the end of the service, oh. before the service. Mm. And so if you want help, we'll see you after after morning that's worship or after right. worship. Mm. So they sit in the service. Uh, and then through the discussion, maybe you're again that first that first initial offer. Um, to take care of that, whatever that immediate crisis is. But there's always an offer extended to come to the church, um, give your phone number, um, somehow try to set up some sort of a potential relationship at the very least mm-hmm. so that they can in, you can give them an, an invitation. And there's been times, when, okay, they need a ride home, so you take them home. And on the way home, you discuss with them. Do you have, you know, what's your relationship with the Lord? A lot of people will tell you that they were raised in a church and what mm. it meant to them. Um, a lot like what Chris has said too. Um, we've only had a couple of people come a few times, 
Um, but then again, maybe part of it is that they're transient. And so they're moving on through. You're just, you know, you're you're just one of the stops that they're gonna have for the for the next month or so. But always an invitation. Yeah. And always give a testimony brief. What a testimony. Let's uh move to our final case study. A woman named Jane comes to the church. You're the only person at the church getting set up for a meeting that people will arrive for in an hour. She tells you her boyfriend is abusing her and is after her right now, and she needs help to keep her safe. Her boyfriend's probably only a couple minutes behind her, and she needs a place to hide out. What do you do? That's that's a tough one. So um, probably you guys have heard of the Billy Graham rule. So typically, uh, I would get another deacon to help me, but the scenario you're painting here, you're alone at the church, and this lady named Jane comes. I, first of all, my wife's name is Jane, so I would I would get her on the phone. I'd say, Jane, talk to this other lady named Jane and um, talk to her for a while. And then I'm going to call one of the other deacons in and, and ask for help. I'm going to make a phone call and say, hey, what do I do? My wife, Jane, is talking to this other lady named Jane. She says she's being abused. And I might get my wife involved. Okay. That's how I might handle it because I don't want to be in a situation I have, yeah, where I'm alone with her in the church for an hour, um, especially if that other guy shows up. Mm. And so, um, not that anything should go wrong, but that's what I want to protect myself from. So, I want to get one yeah. of the other deacons or the pastor to help me as quickly as possible. That's my initial reaction to the scenario. That's good, Doug. Thanks. Yeah. I would get another woman involved, like you said. Um, that'd be number one. Probably two. I think I would maybe call the police. Mm. Unless I got a concealed carry permit or something. But I'm somewhat facetious, but I'm I don't want to be dealing with uh an irate boyfriend, husband, or whatever. I think it's excellent to have another woman involved. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that you're protected from any possible um, misconstruals as well as accusations. Yeah. If there was the the threat of a threat of physical harm, I think I'd call the police. Mm -hmm. I think I would, I would too. I think I'd put her in the building and stand outside the building. I'd call the police in front of her, put her in the building and tell her I'm going outside the building. I'm, you know, and call the police in front of her and see if, her story changes a little bit at that point. That's a pretty domestic abuse is one of the most dangerous calls police go on. So that's, that's well out yeah. of. It's, it's hard to know from these scenarios, but I guess yeah, real life scenarios too. You never know. It's like, it's like this amazing situation that you've made in some cases you've never experienced something quite like that before. So you just have to yep. think back to other scenarios or other situations and say, okay, what are my policies and you know policy being a deacon would never normally our deacon policy would be you know to follow the billy graham rule you would never meet with a woman one deacon two two deacons would always be meeting and that's almost with anybody we you know like you some of the other brothers have said and for brothers i would i would never want to be alone with a, a an individual woman i mean right. that's just straight right. out no so, go i go you you need help. You jump inside. I'm going. I'm calling the police in front of you to let you know they're coming. 
go inside and yeah. I'm going to stand outside. Yeah. Because what you don't, you don't know from this, you know, scenario, this case study that we're reading here, you know, is the guy, does he know that, does this boyfriend that abuses her, does, does he know where she's hiding, you know? Right. Right. So let's, let's take it a step further. So the police do come, they get involved. The, the boyfriend doesn't show up. Her story checks out. Uh, she needs help. What's your next step? Um, you should have a list of resources ahead of time of places where women can go. So most big cities and I think most, yeah, most, most places have uh, a phone number or someplace you can call for abused women to go to. In the Detroit area, we have Grace Centers of Hope, which is uh, another church-run ministry that we partner with occasionally. So, yeah, it's it's good to talk through these scenarios and then talk to your brother deacons and find out, do you have a phone number or, you know, a, a resource? Um, mm. Some of the cases are actually more complicated and more difficult than some local churches can handle. Like we don't have beds. So you, you, you'd either have to, you know, send the person home with another church member or get them into a facility that's got like a safe house for women that have been abused. Right. And there's places that specialize in that. So you can get them there. They can stay there for a little while and keep in touch with them. Right. Then get some of the ladies and we have a lot of widow ladies in our church that are prayer warriors and and uh, mm. ask them to help cover everything mm. with prayer support and then see what God does next. Because uh, if it's for real that she's getting beat up by some guy then and the police can't find him, it's like, okay, what do you do now? Well, one of the things, too, again, family and does she have friends? And if family's not an option and she doesn't really have any friends nearby, um, then the church becomes her friend. Hmm. You know, women. If there's women Bible studies, if there's kids involved, um, you know, the deacon's wife is not a deacon or deaconess, but she can be a really tremendous helpmate as well, and a okay. tremendous resource as well, particularly hmm. in dealing with woman to woman, one on one. I personally believe that's why there's qualifications for the deacon's wife, because it's implied, in my mind, it's implied that she will be involved in the work um, as she ministered, as as half of the congregation is women. And so there's a significant ministry to women, and deacon's wives are a wonderful resource in that way. D Doug, how many years have you been a deacon? Probably over 30 years, yeah. Mm. John, how many years have you been a deacon? 24. Chris? About 25, give or take. I just honestly can't really remember. That's a lot of years of experience in this room. Mm. Sometimes it's good experience and sometimes it's trying and testing. Yeah. Walk-ins are tough. Well, thank you, John, Chris, Doug. It's been fun to interact and see you interact with one another. I'm sure that deacons listening to this will be challenged and encouraged and uh, resonate with the ideas discussed and hopefully be encouraged in that. 
And to our listeners, thanks for listening today as we discussed these cases. We hope you came away with some ideas of how you can serve within your local church. We hope to be able to bring you new case studies from time to time. So stay tuned for more and let us know you like them by subscribing, sharing, and giving us feedback from your podcast player. If you have a case you'd like one of our panels to discuss, let us know by emailing diaconalministries at opc.org or by going to opccdm.org and hovering over the podcast in the menu and go to podcast feedback and topic suggestions. Thanks for joining us. Go to our website, thereformdeacon.org. There you will find all our episodes, program notes, and other helpful resources. And please make plans to join us again next month for another episode of the Reform Deacon Podcast.